0: Hello, and you're welcome to the Backdoor Hurling Show. Delighted to be joined by former Offaly Hurler, Brian Carroll, and Cool Derry Hurler, and now host of A Hurlish Life as well. Um, but firstly, Brian, before we uh, get into your career and everything, uh, probably the most talked about topic uh, in Ireland, and we just talked about it there before coming on air um, the yellow slitter. Like, what's your thoughts? A lot of people saying it's a bit heavier than the normal slitter.
1: Well first of all, thanks for having me on, Paul. Um, delighted to, to, to be here and, t- and chatting away. With you. I love talking about hurling so. Um the slitter, yeah, look seemingly there was issues with that 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 the slitter that was played with over in Boston that it was heavier and it caused problems with hurls and stuff like that. But I don't think that's necessarily the slitter that's gonna be used in championship. As far as I know, it's just an actual change in the colour as opposed to a change in the actual um components of the slitter, you know, the base, the core of it, the leather, whatever, that side of things, and it won't be a change in the weight either, so it's literally just changing the core of the leather. Um, what my views on it? Probably that it's been rushed in a little bit and that, you know, players, first and foremost, have not been given an opportunity to actually trial it. You know, didn't play with it during the National Hurling League. Um, they've only been given a two-week window, um, head, heads up to when it's actually going to be used. Um, and you know, it's like it, it's like everything. Um, it can be just weird to adapt. I will not say it's hard to adapt, but it, 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 you know, like, like you can understand why there's a little bit of um, pushback towards it. And um, you know, it's it, it is a fundamental change in how we do things in Ireland. Like the the slitter's been white um, for for as long as we know it. bar maybe when they get a bit dirty and go a bit brown or whatever, or, or grey, really, sometimes in the colour, but. You know, so we're used to it being white and um, I can see why people are maybe a little bit pushed back. So, as I said, I just would have liked to seen the trialled in the league um, instead of just being sprung on players um, for championship.
0: Yeah, and um, Intercounty coming back, obviously, do you think it should be played or do you think it should not be
1: played? Um I understand the, the reason I'm playing. I think the government have really got behind it um you know they've pumped a lot of money into it you know they're talking 10, 10 or 12 million seemingly pumped into the gea to you know push onto the counties so to make sure that county boards are in a financial position to be able to um you know run the county scene because obviously we know it costs a lot of money um, between the management and the uh, backroom staff and obviously expenses for players and meals and all that sort of stuff. So it, it is a costly affair and, you know, there is no, little or no income for county boards at the moment. So the government have backed that and um, I think that's why Intercounty is seen as an elite sport at the moment or its class as the elite sport and it's going to go ahead, um, you know, at level three. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, I understand the merits of that because the government are looking at, you know, with lockdown or with level 3 or level 4, whatever we move into, that, you know, life as we know it is not the same and there's not the same outlet for, for people to go to to watch matches, you know, whether it's club or, or county or whatever. Um But at least if the county is playing and th- those games are widely accessible on television or on, on um, you know, maybe uh, pay-per-view, you see that with the National Football League this weekend, paying 5 euro to watch all the matches. Um, I think they're utilising, I think it's something that, um, probably is good for the game in the long run. The fact that all these games are actually now accessible and will be recorded and, um, you know, you pay your five or watch the games, I think a lot of people will be happy with that and you'd like to see that um, being picked up going forward. And then from, like, a player's perspective, I think a lot of the players that are actually playing are probably, you know, they're a younger generation. I think that's that's quite proven now. Inter-county scene is quite young. You know, you're usually you're talking anything from 19 to you know, maybe the the mid twenties, very few players now playing into their thirties. So they're younger, they've they've less commitments in terms of their job or their family lives on the whole, obviously. And, you know, they're in that probably intercounty bubble where it's the be all and end all. And I was there myself one time and you know that's all that matters. Um everything else, you know, comes second or third on the priority list. So intercounty hurling comes comes first. So you can see that the players are mad to play because they don't want to give up a year. Um, no matter what they've been training like mad all year you know when lockdown came and maybe some people took a couple of weeks off those intercounty county players were trending even harder they're almost professional athletes so they're were, they were mad to get out and play with the, with the county um, so you, you can see why there is that appetite there for it the general public wants it the players want to play it um, once it's done in a safe and controlled manner I think you know I think it's you know I, I can see why it should go ahead I think at this stage, regardless if we move back to level two or not, I think it probably would be best if we just leave it behind closed doors. Um, you know, you know, a couple of hundred people or even a thousand or two going to these games. Um, you know, I, I know it's some crowd, but I think it's much better if we just actually just view these on, on TV or view them, you know, on the pay-per-view on, on the internet or whatever. Um, and allow the players to play behind the closed doors. Maybe a safer environment for everyone because the last thing we want is to, to see these rise in the numbers and maybe the whole country shut down again.
0: And um, winter hurling, do you think any teams are an advantage in the championship being played in the winter?
1: Yeah, I think it brings a new dynamic to the inter-county scene completely. Look, obviously, they're used to playing... In the National Hurling League, which obviously starts it's earlier than ever. The last couple of seasons, you know, they're playing in January now, and um, you know, the weather can be quite uh, poor at times. You know, wind and rain, but generally the pitches hold up to it pretty well. You know, the, the inter county pitches are, are, are top class now, and obviously again, that's where the GA are excellent. You know, they bring their full time staff from Craw Park down to the inter county grounds, and you know, they lend their expertise and experience, and they help the the county the county grounds um to improve their, their their facility. So the playing surfaces are much, much better. Um, you know, and the flip of that, as the counties are used to playing in the league and, and most most players are used to playing in Winter hurling in in um with their clubs as well. But it does offer a different dynamic. And um does it suit certain teams? It probably will. You know, the likes of strong physical teams, you know, you'd be thinking of Limerick there, you think of Kilkenny with their doggedness. Um you be thinking that they'll be relishing this sort of battle. The likes of Wetford, they're playing uh, we won't say they're playing a sweeper, but they're playing a you know a a seventh um, dynamic kind of defender slash a, a midfielder. Um, you know they love to tighten things up. So for the likes of teams maybe like Cork and and uh, maybe Tipperary, you love to top it around hurling and Turles in, in May and June where the ball is, is pinging around. Maybe that type of game won't won't be as suitable in in this type of weather. Um, so yeah, some of the some of the bigger more physical teams is, as as the teams I said like maybe it'll suit them.
0: Yeah, and do you think some teams, like you mentioned in Wexford, do you think these systems are going to be broken down during the winter now?
1: Um, I think, in fairness to Wexford, I think they have it off to a tee. Um, I I think it's excellent. I think it's lazy if you call it a sweeper because it's so much more than that right now. Um, They've tinkered with it over the last number of years and... You know, Kevin Foley has brought a new dynamic to it all together. You know, he's changed, obviously, with Sean Martin. And, you know, he's getting up the field at times. And they're always trying something different. Um, but then, the, the yeah, the problem with Wexford is they were in a commanding position that I learned semi-final last year against against Tipperary. You know, they were 15 against 14. They were a man up and they were five pints up. And they just seem to lose their way. That they you know, Kevin Foley actually set back into the pocket instead of staying doing what they were doing and their pokeout strategy broke down, which I found interesting considering that they had someone behind the goals calling their pokeouts. Yet when it mattered most, that's when it actually broke down. So there should like there should have been a little bit more um control from that perspective. That's what they were obviously hoping for. Um yeah, so like will Wexford's system break down? I don't I don't necessarily think so. I think I think they have that Down to a tee. They're very, very good in the ball. They relish the fight. I think that's one thing that um, I think David brings to all teams, but I think this Wexford team in particular at the moment. They know that they're within touching distance of of winning something major. You know, they won the Leicester final last year. They were in the poke of a ball of winning All Ireland semi final last year. And, you know, tip tip Rob Tom in that final, and they would have relished playing Kilkenny in that All Ireland final. So um, Wexford know they're in a good place. I think. they're, they're a team that are, I can't call them dark horses because they couldn't be considered as dark horses, but, um, you know, people like to think that they won't be challenging, you know, they're looking at Tipperary, they're looking at Limerick and maybe Kilkenny, but I think Wexford are in room with a serious shout, so I don't think their system will break down. Um, as I said, I think it, it, the likes of teams that, you know, the likes of Cork who rely on really top, skillful forwards and getting nice ball into them, like Alan Cadigan and Patrick Horgan, and, you know, these type of players like when that ball's not pinging around the place and bouncing in front of them it's going to be a lot more difficult and you know you take a watch from, from that perspective as well you know um you know they've some beautiful love lovely wristy hurlers, but um they're missing maybe that uh, physicality but you know Liam Cal's definitely trying to bring that into their game you know they they've um they've really worked on that from what i've heard in the, in, the, in the background and um, you know, they're trying to move away from maybe that structured system that they played under Derek McGrath, where they obviously tied to work as a sweeper all the time, where now Tyghe's obviously playing centre-back and probably grown into that role. I think probably on a, on a wider picture, you feel sorry for for um, Park Fanning last year because, you know, it was a poison chalice taking over from Derek McGrath and it was hard to make that transition from playing in such a structured system with Derek um, to maybe more um, traditional... 15 on 15, maybe not all out, you know, just get the ball and drive it system, but, you know, a less structured system, we'll say. Um, so, yeah, like, go back to the original point, do I think it will break down in Wexford? Certainly not. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I think that, that um, ability to win your own ball, the ability to win dirty ball um, will be very, very important at this time of the year.
0: And I suppose, like, if, if you're looking at all-Ireland contenders, like, It's it's nearly wide open, I suppose. Claire Hambridge um, now with the loss of John Connellan and Cullum Galvin and Podge Collins that could affect them, and maybe leash It's just going to be survival for them. But the rest of the teams will be having a real crack at winning this All
1: Ireland. Yeah, look, uh, like. I think. Look, we, we we probably think that every year it, it's a it's a mad championship from that perspective. Like it's it's not the football, you know. It's it's, it's straight knockout in football. Like there is a second chance for teams this year, so that that um that will it still favours the strong teams, you know what I mean? Like the ones with the strongest palins They get that chance if they do lose in the first round to to bounce back. But if you go through the fixtures like in Munster. You know you're you're dead right. Like you've missed you, you've listed out the players who are missing from Clare. Remember Peter Duggan's over in Australia as well. So very hard to see Clare, even though they they did move very well in that league final. And remember this um this quarter final and monsters doubling up as a league final as well. So um you know it, it, like Tony Kelly was back to his best. You know and you know they have changed players around as well. You know Dave McInerney coming to midfield. You know like David David going to centre forward. So you can see what Brian Loton was trying to do. Again, a more maybe traditional style. Uh, win your own ball. Um, less the structured play that they were playing over the last couple of years. But then you add in the genius Tony Kelly, who was definitely the hurler of the league as well. But still, it's a tall ass to see them beating um, Limerick in the first round. Doing anything thing with Limerick is, you know, there's talks now with Mike Casey after suffering a significant knee injury. So he's going to be a massive blow, you know. With English English on, the, on the, the comeback trail, but I think you know, it might be a big ass to actually expect him to actually start in championship as well. So you're, you could be arguably, arguably missing, you know, two of their full back line. Declan Hann, Hannan has been hampered by injuries over the last number of years as well. And while they have a, a brilliant panel and, you know, they have, um, you know, a huge competition for places. still, you know, when you start to lose two or three out of your team, it's a lot. And, you know, especially if you start to lose two out of your, your back six, you know, it, it's, a, it's a big change. So... You know that that brings its own challenges for Limerick. I, I still think they'll have enough for Clare, but you know in terms of windall Ireland and remember whoever wins that game plays Tipperary. So, um, you know that that's a that's mad. But then the other side of it is Cork and Waterford obviously have a right shot at it. They both will really, really fancy that semi final and think that they have great chances of making that Munster final, which you know really prolongs them in the championship and gives them that chance of getting into the quarter final. So that's a huge opportunity for both those teams, um. And, and then in Leinster, you know, as you said, look, with Leash, it's probably a little bit harder. Um, they had a great year last year winning John McDonough, beating Dublin. And, you know, they, they did very well against Tipperary um, without being patronising towards them. Um, you know, they weren't going to win the game that day, but, you know, they did, they did hurl well that day. But um, it's still a tall order to, see, to expect them to beat Dublin again. Um Dublin will be hugely disappointed with the performance last year and he's expected they'll be there'll be all guns blazing to try and take Leash out this time. I suppose from Eddie Brennan's perspective he's probably hugely disappointed the fact that you know, he would have expected more players to buy into what actually happened last year and maybe some of those players that opted out last year might have actually come in this year and um he didn't really get that. You know, in fact he's actually lost Charlie Dwyer as well. So, you know, Charlie's been one of the best forwards for Leash over the next number of years. Um these has probably dipped a little bit in the last year or two, but so he's a class act. Um and then you've you know the winners of that are waiting Kilkenny. So you, you know, if Dublin comes through that or, or leach, whatever, you still expect Kilkenny to win that. You know, um uh Kilkenny will really there hasn't been much talk about them. You know, you forget that they actually got to Ireland last year and you know that, that sending off, Richie Hogan sending off was hugely significant in that Ireland because they people were saying Tipperary were taking over. They were, there's no doubt about it. But like it, that, taking over doesn't mean that we're going to romp home because you know if if anything we know bar maybe 2016 when when Kilkenny wore at all over the place you know all those other alarms were absolute thrillers they were they were up and down and you know three or four point leads didn't mean much um, and then the other the other game that it's a cracker you know Galway and, and Wexford um, not much being said about Galway at the moment either you know a new manager in with Shane O'Neill he probably um, has been hampered a little bit. You know, with the golf was set up, um, you know, not getting as much access to his players. That championship ran a little bit later than some of the others. And, um, you know, thought he burped then getting injured, but, you know, the, they're hoping that he should be okay for that first round. That's a and clash as well. So, look, I think all in all, there's some brilliant, brilliant games to really look forward to over the next couple of weeks. Please God that we actually, they go ahead. Um, and, and I think, uh, like, you, you'll be looking at um, some, some, Big games and some, you know, I I think still at the same time we're going to see that the stronger teams come to the fore. I think that's just the way the, the way the championship is. I think you go down through all the the club championships. Like there's been no major surprises in the club championships this year. You know, by and large the strong teams have been quite dominant, and we actually would have been in for a hell of a. A Munster and Leinster campaign and even an Ulster campaign as well because like you look at it in the Pirshig absolutely romped home you had Ballygunner the same Killadangan who have been you know knocking on the door for the last number of years um, Blackrock were obviously in great form Six Mile Bridge another experienced team you know then you go to Kenny Ballyhill and Kula won again so you know like you know Schlockneil again won up up north and so did so did Dunlai so I think you were in for a hell of a provincial series but to go back to that point, I think that it's still it's been the strongest teams have been to the fore and I expect that to continue in the County team.
0: Yeah, and um, during COVID, you obviously um, set up your own podcast, The Hurlough's Life. Was, was it something you always had in the pipeline?
1: It wasn't, not at all, actually. Um, I'm a Liverpool supporter um, and I was listening to The Greatest Game with Jamie Carriger and... Um, enjoyed a couple of his episodes, uh, particularly the Michael Owen one and the and the Stephen Gerard one, because he was, you know, there were players he played with and I, I thought it would give him great insight. And I was just kind of listened to it and going, geez, I'd love I'd love to hear that from you know a hurler's perspective and just kind of taught about it for a while and left it kind of sit in the background and then I was like, it's like, what's stopping me? Like, you know, so that's kind of where it stemmed out and um probably 'cause I'm a teacher by trade. I planned to do it during the summer, but then COVID hit and lockdown hit, and I said, Hey, do you know what? Here goes, let's let's record a few episodes and see how they get on. And if people listen to them, great, I'll continue. Um and if if they don't, so what? Not ventured, not again. and, you know I I did three or four episodes and rang a few people in for a few favours and just got I suppose hit the perfect storm. Got lucky. Um people were off. There was a hunger and appetite there for it and um, people were getting sick of looking at all the old games and telly and doing all the review shows of that. So I think it was just just good timing. And um, you know, as I said, that the appetite is out there for it. And um, I'd like to to think I've hit on a good model that people enjoy. You know that kind of thing. so. Um, you know, I look, I, I really enjoy it. Uh, it's been a huge learning curve, it's different being on the other side of the, the mic and asking the questions and. Learning that perspective um, and all the editing things in the background, like I have no experience in that whatsoever, and I suppose I had to learn all that I was going along. And you still have trouble with that from time to time with the mic and stuff like that. And sometimes the sound isn't as good as you'd like. And but look, I think there are there, there are issues that you know when you're a, a one man band, it's it's very hard to overcome. I don't have a whole studio behind me or sound engineers or anything like that. So look, you do your best, and that's all you can do.
0: Exactly, and just something um, like. Going from playing to punditry, Tree, did, did you find that difficult at the start?
1: Um, I actually didn't. I actually found it a great reprieve, being honest. Um, I just, yeah, maybe the year I finished up, even though I, I knew I wasn't, I, I kind of knew myself I was finishing up, but I hadn't told anyone. I commentated on the, the county final in Offaly. So that gave me a, an opportunity to maybe cut my teeth at it and um, I don't remember the year after so I did a little bit with local radio station on Midlands 103 so that was good and the following year then when I finished up I kind of did bits with them during the league and stuff and you know so um, I'm still going to games but I remember um, going to the first championship game and awfully played uh, Westmead and Mullingar and um, they like awfully got out of jail the same day Um, Westmead absolutely pummeled awfully for 65, 66 minutes, and awfully just got a couple of late goals. Shane Dooley blocked down the keeper and um he hadn't poked the ball for say, 67 minutes, but he turned it on for the last five minutes and won awfully the game in Fairness him. and Um yeah, like I just remember that day being up in the stand watching the minor game and um and I couldn't listen. I, like being honest, I couldn't listen to all the hurlers in the ditch. Like, oh my god, I pity my poor mother and um, my, my wife and all you know anyone that's in that situation sitting in the stand and listening to those people and hurlers in the ditch I said, and said, the abuse like the abuse that people give their own and I remember just going I was never as glad to have to head up to the commentary box because I was like saying to myself like I couldn't actually sit and watch these games or I'd have to go up to the terrace all on my own or something like that because it's unbelievable I suppose I knew it was happening up in the stands and I now I know why my mother used to sit off on her own like um miles away from everyone because uh. Well, it's hard to listen to that. So I remember going. It was actually lovely to head up to the commentary box and be able to watch the match, analyze it, give my thoughts on it, talk. You know, because I said I'm a teacher. I'm used to talking, and and um, maybe just getting engrossed in the game from that perspective. That you're, you know you're concentrating and trying to analyze it and pick things apart and talk coherently, um, as well at the same time. So like, there's a challenge in in commentating and uh, analysis of games, and you really have to be on your game, um. You know, yeah, like it's like your are to going play in a game. Like you won't be going out the night before, like like well, I personally couldn't I could go and drink a few pints the night before and try and analyze the game the next day. Like um, I'm probably not an experienced enough drinker to be able to do that. But uh yeah, like so I, I think you have to be in the fuller health to do these games. And I think like some of the big games, if you do full commentary, um, you'd be absolutely wrecked after them. Like I remember doing the Leinster final last year, Kilkenny and Wexford and like it was a cracker and just being just zonked after it because um, there's a huge amount going on, as I said. Like you're you're trying to to watch the game and analyze it, you know. So and then be ready to talk coherently his said, and then you're trying to do all the stats at the same time because usually the commentator is his own statistician too. Like there's a whole logistical thing to it. Like the commentator is in the middle. He's he's statistician to one side, and I'm the analysis or co-commentator to the other side. So I have to do all my own stats. So uh, he's able to pull up things easily because he's someone doing it for him, and then I have to have all those stuff myself. So I'm trying to. Record, I'm down there with a pen trying to record all this stuff while so trying to watch the game and you know trying to help out the, the commentator at the same time. And said, so there's a lot going on. Um, and as I said, you'd be absolutely wrecked at after a full game of, of doing co commentary. But as I said, I, I love it, I, I love the buzz of it, I love being able to go to the games. Um, yeah, I probably prefer the co commentary than the actual analysis. Um, I'm probably not controversial enough for the analysis. I, I, I like, I definitely. Empathize with players because I know I'm not long, you know I would a hot seat myself, and I know what players go through, and no one goes out to play a bad game, so I don't like to be overly critical of players if they don't play well. Um, so I'm probably not like your Joe Brodie or Sir Nan who shoots shoots from the hip, and you know, so I, I, that's just not my modus operandi, and I don't particularly like that. So I love the call where you're just caught up in the moment and you're and you're calling it as you see it in front of you. Um. So look, it's it. That's just my style. Maybe I I would like to think I won't change it too much over the years. But um, yeah. As I said, I love going to Corkham because I love being able to go to games, and it's a total different um buzz being able to do that. Uh, You know, sometimes with the analysis, you have to be in studio, and even like obviously I'm only doing the radio at the moment. But you know, sometimes you could have to be in studio in Dublin, up in Dunybrook, and the game could be down in Parkyqueeve in Cork, and you're looking at it on telly in the studio and. You know, they're doing Saturday sport or Sunday sport or something and they're talking about all the other different sports and you're trying to watch this up on the screen and there's no atmosphere and, you know, so it's a lot more clinical. Um, Yeah, as I said, being at the Games is what it's all about. And Look, I have a couple of young kids myself at the moment as well, so I probably won't be getting out to the Games at the moment or at least when you're going co-commentating. Uh, it's an excuse to get out the door.
0: <laughs> and, like, really, it was always going to be hurling for you. Your family engrossed in it, your father, your grandfather all played for offally. It was never really going to be any other
1: sport, was it? No, it wasn't, let's be honest. No, like, look, I, I played a good bit underage. I played um, soccer and played Gaelic football and um, nothing really else, being honest. um, Yeah, I played hurling, but like, hurling took over at number one. It, it was never anything but number one, but it really took over at like. You know, I didn't really play any other sports after fourteen. Um, you know, I just really concentrated on the hurling, and you know, I loved it. And you know, yeah, like, um, you know, look, as I said, I'm a teacher, and you look at this thing and trying to instill it in in young players now the importance of working hard on your game and your own time. You know, that ten thousand hour rule is it's not a myth. Like, okay, it might be exactly ten thousand hours, but like, you know, you're talking approximately two hours a day. You know, for like ten years, like you know, roughly to make it at the top of any sport or anything that you want to excel at, you know, whether it's music or or sport or whatever, um, and I, like, yeah, I think that's not far out, like because you need to put that time in. And only the other day I was coaching, you know, first years in school, and you know, I just left them free play for a few minutes, get you know, against the wall or whatever we've a nice ball wall there, And just watched them, you know, and so many of them are just out and just hitting the ball and they're just almost doing it aimlessly they're not actually trying to improve you know so I think that's important I think that's one thing that was probably instilled in us in our club um, with some of our underage mentors and um, you know the importance of you know if you are hurling against the wall that you are there to try and improve yes obviously there has to be enjoyment in it but you know that you're working on your left you're working on your right you're, you're getting yourself out of your comfort zone um, you know and for me obviously that would have been accuracy as, as much as you know trying to improve my striking but um, you know I I remember I used to have like um, we were building a house at the time and there was a fireplace and just trying to hit the ball into the fireplace like you know 10, 20 times in a row off the left and the same off the right and just staying there all night till I got it like you know so it would be going dark and you're still making trouble until you got your 10 in a row or whatever it was and um, you know or picking out a brick on the wall and just constantly trying to hit it off that brick you know left and right so like just those small things that you know and it's much more visualising you know what you were actually doing. Um, you know, so those hard yards um, have to put in yourself because we. I think I think everyone aspires to play into county hurling, but um, I don't think you know. I don't think you can get there without actual hard work. And I think it's the same thing. I think if you want to win anything, whether it's club or county or whatever colleges hurling, I think there's you can't be hard yards. I, I just don't think it can be done without actually work, working hard. I can't can't stress that enough. Um, it doesn't just happen for players you know. players that you, know, you might get to the top based on a, a bit of maybe raw talent or whatever but to actually stay at the top and be at the top of your game and be able to perform consistently
0: it might not always work
1: obviously but um, I think you just have to work hard I think I think there's no substitute for it
0: and um, you went to St Ciaran's obviously um, but like the culture within um, that school does it do so much for you as a heirloom
1: Oh hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. Look, I, I, I was I wanted to go to Kieran. The minute I heard DJ Kerry went there. You know, obviously obviously we're after Pomp as well at the time. You know, Johnny Dooley was class blame Whelan Obviously, obviously was a class apart, but like DJ was the man. Like, you know, he just you know, he was like Messi obviously. He was just different gravy. Um and and when I heard he went there, and you know, obviously, there wasn't the internet really was only starting out back then, it was 95, but you know, you wouldn't have had the same opportunity to maybe research what was going on in the school. So it was just word of mouth and heard about DJ and Charlie Carter and Pat Neal and all these players that were there beforehand. And you know, then you would have heard of Eddie Care being there and whatever. So, look, I was mad to go there. When you go down there, and there's almost this Hogwarts feel to it, like you know, the, the old school building. And um all the pitches around, so it's just class and look just what they you know, as you said that what they breed into you, you know, that um you know, you have trials to try and make the panel and all that. And I remember going through that series of trials in first year and you know, it was just so dogged, you know, maybe a hundred and twenty or hundred and fifty players trying to make the panel and I'll never forget the the list going up and lads like you know, in first year openly crying in front of other lads that they didn't make it, like and I remember just being so grateful to actually make that panel. And, um, it was just something that struck me as well, like, you know, as I said, this is 1995, like, and we went out, and I remember going to the first train and rocking on with my hurling helmet and looking forward to playing a game or whatever, doing a few drills and playing a game. We didn't touch, we didn't touch a litter for the first couple of sessions, and we literally got, ran, um, and we were made get fit first, and that's probably a myth that's, like, out there that Kilkenny, of, you know what I mean, it's all about hurling and dogging, it's not a... They're ex- they're so fit. It's not even funny. Like you, you, just take it for example and look at their players. Like look at Connor Connor Fogarty. Look at the shape he's in. Look at Killian Buckley. Look at TJ Reid, Colin Fenley. These boys are elite athletes as well as everything else. They're obviously exceptional hurlers, but they're elite athletes. You know, um, like don't be like, I, I think people are fooled by that in Kilkenny. You know. Um, You know, obviously it was good hurling, but it was primarily exactly what you see from Kilkenny as well, um, <clears throat> and I think that was, as I said, that was bred in you from the very, very first training session I did in Kilkenny. I'm sure they've probably changed up a little bit and they're probably not as <laughs> agricultural now, where we just ran. Um, but I remember watching the senior team train as well back then, and you know the nights were getting darker and seeing those lads run hard. You know, and you're talking, you know, they were 17, 18 years age, and I remember going back to that first session if like I was twelve years of age doing that. Um you know and it was a tough session and I mean that now and I'm like I wouldn't have done anything close to running before like that. And uh I remember going back to my own club then that following whatever spring and um just I remember I remember the the kind of other lads in my club and you know they've all these boys going to play county you're talking Joe Brady, Kevin Brady, Damien Murray, Barty, and all these boys they were just they were actually blown away by the physical shape, the change in my physical shape over first year. Do you know, because we we might have been meeting each other, but we wouldn't hurled together. Um, you know, maybe from the, the previous autumn to the to the following spring and just the change in me physically. Um I was never blessed with a and that's thing and whether it was intercounty or cairns or whoever the club I was never blessed with the and I had to work extremely hard at it. I hate running. If you asked me to run a 5k I would rather go out and pick stones in the field now being honest. Um, <laughs> I hate it. I did one of them over the lockdown. All these people posting Five k, five k times. I couldn't think of something worse, so I did one of them, and I said never again. Um, and I, I didn't bother to be because it was shocking, and I couldn't wait to get home. But um, so running won't be something I'd be taking off going going forward. But uh, probably what what was bred into me, whether it was Kooleri or Cairns, was sheer determination and kind of probably uh, a bit of ignorance. You know, rolling up your sleeves when it needs to be done um, mightn't be the best of things, but very hard to get to the end of. I suppose that's that's something. So. I think that's something that um, definitely is instilled in young Kieran's, and you can have all the talent in the world, um, that won't cut it. You know, you have to have that honesty of effort, and um, we've probably seen that down through the years, and um, I think that's what probably is carried through seamlessly into Kilkenny setups. You know, and that's probably what Brian Cody has done as well. You know, um, he's he's fostered that, and he came through the Kieran system as well, obviously, and I think we had that in Kilkenny for a long time as well. Yeah, and you mentioned like Danes.
0: You buy into the setup, obviously, but you think back then like it was much easier, say, as players, to get that belief in the system, even from playing. Uh, my own self now. Like I think with underage teams, it's much harder to get young lads to actually go out in the pitch and believe that they can win.
1: Yeah. yeah well, obviously with Kieran's, it, it's it's um again it's. I'd say it's a perfect storm you know they have that history the weight of history behind them and all the players you know most young lads in Kenny want to go there um so they're attracting a, a higher caliber of player but they so they just have to foster that and um you know bring the players on board they, they're probably a lot of them already talented um but they just need to instill the right um core values inside them and you know as i said that get them physically fit and work on their first touch and work on their honesty of effort. And you know, underage games at that level aren't going to be hugely tactical. Maybe at, at senior colleges it's, it's it's there's an element of tactics involved, but a lot of the underage games are not. Um, you know, and, and even Kieran's were actually always very, very good at Gaelic football at under fourteen or sixteen because um, you know, they were they were, as I said, extremely fit, extremely physical and honest in how they played. And because of that we played in a couple of Leinster finals in football. Um, you know, and, and we've troubled traditional football teams as well because like we wouldn't have a clue maybe tactically what we're doing, but we were, you know, as I said, we were honest. Um, so is it easier for Keans? It certainly is. Like, you know, they have that weight of history behind them and they they're also clever in terms of the fact with their employment and their staff that they're hugely involved in hurling and they've never let that tradition die. And, you know, they, they work extremely hard in that in the background and there's, there's a huge community there for Cairns and um, <laughs> I'd still count myself, even though I could be coming up against them in College hurling, I'd still count myself a Cairns supporter, I'd still be watching out for them, you know, that, that sense of uh, collegiality and you know, I could be very proud of the fact that I hurled for Cairns and I remember one of the things as well was um, back then, the only pictures that went up in the wall were the teams that won All-Ireland um, you know, it's, it's probably changed a little bit now and I remember just like, looking at all the old pictures of all those players I've named out and just hoping to God you got, you know, your picture up on the wall. And, you know, I was lucky enough I did. Like, um, you know, and like, it was, it was just a fantastic six years I had down there. And, you know, I, I loved every every minute of it. And as you said, like, yeah, it was bred into us. And um, is it easier now? I think, um, look, I think, I think sometimes people make excuses for, for kids nowadays, you know, there's, um, that's why I keep harp, harping on about this hard work, I think kids expect instantaneous success, they go out and they train for a week or two and they just think, oh yeah, I've trained hard, I, I deserve success with this, you know, and they don't, like you could train extremely hard and nothing might happen for you, um, it could take months, could take years if you actually see that, um, and we've plenty of examples of that as well, you know, it doesn't have to be um, just in in terms of winning things, but like players actually make it in the long run. Like, you know, if any Brennan never played a county minor, you know, you've Brian Fenton there, the best footballer in Ireland at the moment, never played it. So it just it just takes years. It takes perseverance. And I think that's important to for for people to understand. Um you know um whether as I said whether it's sport or whether it's not
0: and um moving on to your off league career um two thousand and two to two thousand and sixteen um, how do you reflect on it?
1: How do I reflect on it? Um, well, uh, it's probably, look, it was a roller coaster. There's no point saying anything else. Um, can't say the highs were very high. <laughs> but look, I obviously had good days. I, it was, I'd say if I had a little bit of an Indian summer, um, I got a new perspective towards the game. There was a few years there that I probably, it became a labour of love. Uh, I wanted to play into the county hurling, but I wasn't really enjoying it um, because the, it seemed to be the harder I tried, nearly the the worse I played, and the harder I was on myself. And that's probably you know one of my traits is that I, um, you know I blame myself a lot for performances of the team, and obviously, um, because of that, then it was a vicious circle. I ended up playing worse myself as well, and. Um, Yeah, so there was a few years there I probably didn't enjoy it as much as I should have. And, you know, I probably worked on that towards the latter stages of my career around 2012, maybe 2013. Um, I worked on that and, you know, went and did a bit of work personally with a sports psychologist. And it wasn't necessary that we did a lot of sports psychology. It was probably just helped me to change my perspective and what I expected I would again. I was probably putting too much pressure on myself as well in terms of um, from my father. Um, the legacy of that and what he had won and then with that realisation that I wasn't going to win any of these things and um, so I probably as I said changed my mindset of what I wanted out of the game and looked for a little bit more enjoyment and look for the challenge um, of the fact that you're going to have to deep down accept that you're not going to win All-Irelands um, you're not going to win All-Stars or Leicester finals but, but look for a different challenge in what you're doing and try to be the best and like realize that you're, you're you're not too bad here now. Like you know you're you're able to hold your own when you're at, on your game and you know try and get up to that game, and play at that level consistently. As I said, um, I was lucky enough, um, probably with that perseverance that I keep talking about, that uh, I came good for finish and I ended up as I said with that India summer and then ended up hurling well over the last couple of seasons and you know got nominated for an All Star again and stuff like that. So I left the game in a good place probably and I left it maybe a year or two earlier than I should have. Um, but I did that for a couple of reasons I left it because I didn't want to fall out in love with the game again you know I've seen so many like we're talking legends of the game you see Henry and see Tommy and you see Owen Kelly you know just as I said legends we will be telling, please God our, our grandchildren about like I was lucky enough to play with these guys and against these guys um, actually yeah I played with all three of them I'm lucky enough to say that as well but um, you know that like these are legends but you know, the last year or two, like, you know, there were subs and, you know, there were, you could see it in their body language and their, you know, and I can, you know, empathise with that. Like, you know, they weren't enjoying it because they were subs anymore because they were such an integral part of the team and they were main men. It's really hard to accept that and be a sub, you know, towards the end of your career. And I suppose I didn't want that element, you know, um. so I kind of said i maybe not as high as what JJ did, but i get out of it when I was still enjoying the game and um the other thing was probably from a family perspective as well i just wanted to maybe kick back for a year or two before we ended up having children and that whole side of things and I think that's important too you know because your wife has people kind of forget about that you know my wife was like I, I i was going out with her for years before we got married and she was with me through basically my whole intercounty career and she sacrificed my intercounty career i didn't sacrifice anything i enjoyed what i was doing i said more or less um, I had no problem giving up nights out. I never counted in giving them up. You know, I didn't ever even book tickets for anything because they just didn't come on my radar and no problem not going to weddings because Intercounty hurling was number one for me. So she sacrificed, I didn't. And as so as I felt, I, I deserved to give her back one somewhere where um, we just went off to San Francisco and enjoyed uh, the West Coast and you know, went away for a month or six weeks. And I think that was important as well. Was, um, would my decision have been different if I was playing with Kilkenny? arguably it could have been because you know he could have been in contention to win in all Ireland um, what was the difference for me the way I looked at it I'd hurled 14 seasons what so was the difference hurling 14 or 15 Um, yeah I don't regret it, even at this stage even though as I said I could have hurled in a year or two I think my career started out you know I was lucky I got to play with um some of the best game, best players i ever had you know Brian Whelan Johnny Dooley even though he was injured that year but he played and he was really good to me as well and Kevin Martin as well and uh, Hubert Rigney was in there, Joe Ereti, you know, some of these boys were legends, um, you know, so I was very lucky that from that perspective And Monoflea were, well obviously we'd lost LR in 2000, but we won the Leinster minor, and we'd won the Leinster under 21, and we had a decent nucleus of a team, um, you know, and like, we were probably unlucky, we should have won the Leinster final in 2004. I think if we had a one that, I think might have changed their landscape over the next number of years. I still think Kenny like, were going to dominate. Don't get me wrong. Like Wexford just pipped them. I think like, it was an unbelievable way for to win that game. If you remember uh, Michael Jacob blocking down um, Peter Barry in the end line and rifling it up into the roof of the net. But we had Westford measuring that last final and we missed three or four brilliant goal-scoring opportunities. David Henry was inspired in the goal, but I still think you we know, we missed maybe he maybe saved two chances, but we missed two simple chances as well. And I think we could have been out of sight and we could see the really poor goal. I think if we'd have won that Leicester final. We might have had a different landscape over the next number of years. We mightn't have dropped as far off as we dropped. Um so it it was um it was it was a pity from that perspective. So look, as I said, I had a roller coaster, I really enjoyed some some great days. You know, the, probably the the highs for me would have been playing in that Leicester final, even though we lost it, but, you know, the fact that we played there 40 45,000, whatever it was at, and um, you know, and, you know, we beat numerous in a great game in 2008, they were after playing all in 2007, down in, down in Gaelic Park, and we beat Wexford from 2012, but, unfortunately, there were there were few and far between. Um, but, yeah, look, I, I don't regret all all those inverted common sacrifices I made over the years, because uh, I don't regret never Say going traveling for a year or anything like that, um, you know, I I, I I tried to get as much out of it as I could. And I think in the long run, I keep saying this, and I know it might sound like a broken record, but I persevered at what I was doing, and eventually I got some enjoyment out of what I was doing.
0: And like during your career, um, you mentioned obviously, be wearing, getting taller and violence, or winning leisters. Like, how would you have dealt with setbacks, and how would you have overcome them?
1: Um, gosh <laughs> Not very well at times Obviously I, I, Like um, because I said I'm very hard on myself I think that's the Type of individual I am And I blame myself I'm like Some people have have an issue With the one look in the mirror My problem is i I'm too quickly To blame myself And um, I remember Interviewing Mark Foley For my podcast And he I, I, I really could Relate to what he was saying Because He was saying that you know, I expected to be man of the match every time I went out and played, and like if I'm not man of the match, I'm actually disappointed. And I would, I mean, that way even up to this year, like, and you know, sometimes you're fooling yourself. But that's that was I. I'm not going to lie, that was my approach to it. So if I didn't get man of the match, I'd be disappointed. Um, and if I didn't get man of the match and we lost, then I felt as if I'd really let us down. You know, and I'd really let the county down, and I would take a lot of that like loss on my on my own shoulders, and. Um, I'd be quite hard on myself Um, you know so that was probably one of the things I had to deal with most over the years Um, yeah and you would get frustrated with the losses and stuff and you know we're constantly chopping and changing with managers and stuff like that and um, it was frustrating I don't think we got the best out of ourselves and, yeah it can be very very frustrating but I suppose um, look you just find different ways of coping I don't think there's any right way of doing it you know everything every I suppose as you get a little bit older, I said you mature a little bit and that's exactly what I did and I think that that like chats I had with that sports psychologist definitely helped. As I said, it wasn't necessarily the sports psychology thing of it was more or less changing my mindset and um, I said I, I know it might sound very, very defeatist that you were accepting that you weren't going to win All-Ireland but at the same time I, tell you, I was probably becoming more of a realist um, an acceptance of the actual situation um, and um, as I said, accepting that, that was, I think that was first and foremost. And then, you know, trying to, to move forward and get the most out of what you could out of the game.
0: And is it a massive surprise um, for you of where Offaly are now in the Christie ring? Like, obviously you haven't been in a Leinster final since you played that Leinster final in 2004. But is it a big surprise to you or is it where you think Offaly have tucked their foot off the gas at underage level and it's transferred to senior setup?
1: Yeah, I think I think if it's a nail on the head, I think for those of Notley that weren't trying to maybe have the ostrich effect and bury your head in the sand, I think this has been coming. Did I think we dropped across Christy Ring? No. I think we I think John McDonough is our level. Um I would like to think we'll get back hell of it this year, but that won't be easy either. Um um but no, like I think as you said, the underage um setup over the last maybe twenty years, or maybe probably longer, we're going back to the eighties since we had a really, really decent setup at underage. Um, you know, uh, like it has to be good enough. And Westmead and Leash and Carlo and Kildare—they've beaten Offaly at minor, and so they don't fear playing Offaly. You know, so that that fear factor that Offaly once had is is completely gone with all those teams. Um, you know, and they see them as the teams to beat. Um, and that's something that the current Offley team are gonna to have to overcome in the in the upcoming Christie ring as well. Um and that's that's different, you know. Like Calair have nothing to lose in playing offly whereas offly have everything to lose. Um so yeah, look, I think I think we I think we're a good bit off the top tiers. Uh, Leinster, Munster, whatever you call it, the top ten. Um so McDonough is our level. But uh, you you know, still at the same time I think Offley were, you know, had an absolute nightmare of a, a year last year, and still, um, you know, still they drew it, Leash, or sorry, they lost the leash by a point, pint, of, you know, or, or or a couple of points for a finish. The same with Antrim, the same with Kerry, they were really, really unlucky in those games, and could have won. Arguably, could have won all three. Um, I think the West the West Mead game was a just a, a bad day from start to finish. So, I don't think that, um, you know, look, I don't think. It, I don't think the Crystal Rings are level, but at the same time when you don't win a game in, in Joe McDonough, you lose all four games, you clearly deserve to be relegated. And um, you know, as I said, time will tell. I think they're certainly good enough to get up our Christie Ring, but they still have to go and do it. And I think that brings its own challenges. I think one of the issues and look, I got involved last year, um, when they when they got relegated when Kevin Martin was got rid of, I think one of the big issues often have is the fact that um, we have a, we have some some good players, some really good players, um. But I, if I was to be anywhere critical, I think it would be the fact that there isn't really a team bond there, and when they come under pressure, um, you know, and come against teams that are probably better, um, united and play as a team, that that's where often tend to crack a little bit, um. So you'd be hoping that that's one thing that Michael Fenley and Johnny Kelly, as the coach has really worked on. Um I know it's been a split season, it's not been very, very easy for them, but I think that's important because any team that has success, they have to be united and they have to be all pulling into one way. I think the other thing with offline over the last number of years as well is that um like I think like I think in in Kevin Martin's time it was up like around forty five, forty-six players that actually played under his tenure. Um like so you're talking probably close to 50 players being tried roughly over the last number of years, like, that's huge, you don't see that happening in Cork you don't see that happening in Tipperary or Kilkenny um, to actually get game time so I think we need to find a second 15 um, particularly a backline, we really need to grow a backline in midfield we, we need to let certain players grow into positions, whether that's Ben Canealy or Keelan Kylie, ocean Kelly they're probably our three might probably be marquee hurlers at the moment, those three need to be given a position and let just grow there and settle there because you've seen Keelan Kiley play midfield one day corner forward the next day wing back the next day Ushin Kelly's playing all six forward positions Ben Kennedy's playing full back centre back wing back wherever and I just like to see them be, be settling into positions so for Ben Canady, if it's full back just leave him there you know and let him be the best full back he can possibly be same with Keelan Kiley if it's midfield or Rushing Kelly wherever i like to see a little bit more stability in the team. Um, you know, and I said, build the backline. Um, I think it's a great opportunity for Michael friendly to do that and, you know, build the backline this year that should be good enough to really challenge the Joe McDonough next year. So, um, yeah, as I said, I think, I think we're good enough to do it, but they still have to go and do it. Yeah. And just uh, touching back to your career
0: briefly again, um, who would you say was the best manager you played under? Yeah.
1: Um, I think without doubt it would have to be Ken Hogan um, now we're very lucky in Culleri we had a couple of great managers you know we had um, you know with Johnny Kelly uh, won the county final was in 2015 like Joachim Kelly uh, Joachim won it in 2018 and he's a great character and he he brings huge enthusiasm to it and probably a little bit old school at this stage but it really suited us at the time and um, you know we had a really enjoyable year under him but I still think Ken Holcomb is the best I've ever ever played under. Um, you know, he obviously got us to win that Leicester final days. I never thought we'd see. You know, we went back to back in ten, and eleven, and he was a brilliant man manager and really got the best out of all the players and got everyone on board. And I just thought, um, yeah, he just he he just he had it, and his trainings were really really good as well. He's like you never felt like you did the same session. Um, he was always mixing things up and. You know, as I said, found different ways of motivating players and you know, he knew when to push and knew when to put an arm around the lad and he took players on that need to be taken on when they needs to be. It doesn't matter didn't matter who you were, whether it was me or Joe Brady or whoever. Uh, you know, he'd call you out if you need to be called out and um he he really got us in Kuleri. But look he he's he's an excellent manager, he's done up wherever he's gone. You know, he people forget that like, he was playing playing with Tipperary in nineteen ninety one, one dollar with him and you know, at the same time, was managed and Bor took over midway through the season. And Bor won them the county final, got them to All Ireland. They lost to Kiltormer. He did that with Bor in ninety one, and he, you know, won county titles with us and went to Bor's Mastery and in, the um, in niche and won them their first ever title, Bor's Mastery Kilcotton. I'll actually, add um, and uh, you know, and then obviously he's gone to St Rhinus now in in, in Offaly and he's won them a county title. He was. Andrew Tipperary um, probably got rid of him, you know, after one season. Probably a little bit harsh on him, but then won under twenty one Ireland with them in, in twenty ten as well. So, look, I I think he's he's an excellent manager, and I have I have huge respect for everything that he did for us out here in Co. Um, yeah, top top man. Can't can't say that enough. Um, yeah, he's just class. And the most skillful Hurley came up against. Um. Most skillful. straight away what comes to mind, there's probably as two. Look, I came up against DJ and he was unbelievable, obviously. Um, But, like, I suppose he wasn't really my generation. So if I probably give... (sighs) You're going to push me now. It's down to two. It's down down to two others now. There's another one that's come to mind. Look, Joe Canning, obviously. Just what he can do. Just unbelievable. Three sidelines. Left side, right side. Just just phenomenal and the other one that comes to mind and probably when you're talking about all out skill it's patrick Horgan. um he's just gifted it's just the the hurl is an extension to his arm and he actually uses a really heavy hurl actually if if people probably don't realize that like it's a massive boss obviously um like they're lovely sticks but like you know it's actually really really heavy um but uh, you know, so it's amazing what he's able to do with the with the ball, considering he's hardly so heavy. Um, but oh, it doesn't matter what is expected of him. Yeah. So overall, I'll, I'll give it to Patrick Arbour.
0: And then just one, probably the the hardest working uh, player you played with or came up against. Not the most gifted, but just always. Yeah. As um.
1: Yeah, so against, I probably, and these are probably um, what you often hear a lot of people say, uh, would be, you'd say Bonner Mar or maybe Taggy Fogarty, maybe Bonner, but people say he's obviously a better harder than people give him credit for. Um, but Bonner was a, a machine, obviously. Um, so he'd be, he'd be definitely up there in terms of who he'll play against. Now, yeah, so I've, yeah. Ger Oakley is the man I'm thinking of for who I hurl with. Jer will be the first to me. he was limited in his hurling, well, you will not meet a more honest guy than Ger Oakley. Um, and and again, he's he's someone that maybe people you know have been harsh on enough over the years. Like you know, like Jer was there. He was a sub in '98 and was playing midfield in 2000 uh, in the All Ireland. And I only watched back to 19 or the 2000 All Ireland semi final against Cork the other day, and probably he was one of his best games he ever played that day but he felt he, he played I think he started every line in the field roughly, you know as well so he was a brilliant full back uh, he was full back when we got that Leicester 5004 he played centre back wing back midfield he played in the forward line Um, so
0: you know as I said
1: limited in what he was doing but by God did he maximise everything he's a bear in the gym I've never seen anyone um, he, he loves he loves lifting weights like um like it's his thing, like he's a he's an extension onto his house with a gym in it, like he just loves lifting weights, but um, but that's just, you know, that's what he's into, but, you know, when it came to running or just physical fitness, you just couldn't get to the end of him and he was just a powerhouse um, and any manager that had him loved him, you know, because you, you couldn't ask for much more um, than what Joe Rockley give you. Um, and he was willing to do whatever it took. So yeah, he, as I said, I think people were harsh on him saying he was very limited how did he hurled for after you for years. You get in there and you train with Joe Oakley or try and mark Joe Oakley and tell you one thing you knew about. You ask any of them kick any hurlers or any hurlers out there what it was like try and mark him. Um, by jeez, you knew you were marking him. And that was the same in training or whether it was in, in um, uh, you know, competitive games. So I have to give him the nod, definitely. Um, just something now before
0: we move on to Kildare, the interprovincial hurling championships they were got rid of. Yeah, would you like to see them being brought back?
1: A hundred percent, they were definitely the most enjoyable um teams I was on. Um, like, look, obviously, I'd, I'd hurled with the lads and Kieran's and mostly Kenny lads, but it was nothing better than you know being given the honor of actually. Going playing for Leinster, you know, being picked to go play for your province, which is, you know, from my perspective, you know, when you're hurting, enough after you weren't, you know, you weren't going to win All Stars. So, you know, this was, you know, this was up there with that and getting those opportunities to go play. And look, probably the thing, the thing with the Kilkenny lads is um, you could never hate them because they were always so sound. You know, no matter what they were winning, they were actually so sound and they were great cracking. You know, they were hugely competitive, but they played hard. And the party tired. So, so if you, you know, if there was a few beers afterwards or whatever. The boys knew how to let their hair down as well, and you know, at the right time of the year, obviously. Um, so there were great crack, and they were very. There was no airs of grace about them, and they were very humble. So sort the of great humility about them, and they were very, um, you know, the vast majority of them, obviously, you know, um, the very accepting of all the players from all your counties, and you know, welcomed them and. You know, really saw their worth and, and you know, recognised that there were, like, anyone that was called into Leinster was a serious hurler, like, you know, so they never looked down their nose at anyone, whether it's from Offaly or, you know, Wicklow or Westmead or Carlow, wherever you were called in from, you know, they had huge respect for you and they recognised that these were serious hurlers. and So I think it was really enjoyable and I was lucky enough with Interprovincial, I was actually on the three trips that ever went abroad. I was on 2003, I went to Rome, we won we won the Red Cup over there, we beat Connacht, um, on a rugby field over there it was a mental game um, and then 2005 I went to Boston and we lost to um, Munster in an absolute cracker, I would definitely say that it was up there one of the best games I've ever played in, um, it was a cracking game out in Canton um, and we were we were winning that game for a long stretch of it we, we actually ran our legs for a finish uh, the session on the Friday night might have actually done that to us, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's looking back on that after years ago. Yeah. Um, and then we went over to Abu Dhabi and I think it was 2009. Yeah, it was. It was um, April 2009. We went over there and, um, yeah, we had a hell of a trip over there as well and we beat Connacht in the final over there. So, um, you know, I was lucky enough if I got to play in the, on those teams. Um, you know, I, I started in 2003 and five. I played a good few years and um, yeah, so then it was, it was funny enough, actually, I was always on, I was uh, about one year, I think I was on the Leicester panel um, for the first seven or eight years, I mean, the county panel, and then, um, yeah, manager from Offaly took over and I never met the panel again, so, um, until my last year, until, uh, so I was mad, um, yeah, so I, I, was, I was never as happy, actually, to be called up, the year 2015, I was called back up, Pat Richley from Leash was um, manager and I was called back up, I was never as happy to actually, you know, as I said, I had that Indian summer call back up late in my career. But we were actually on the way to play the game um, in Salt Hill. We were due to play a Connacht, I think, over there. And we are on the way to the game. The game got called off. It was really, really bad weather conditions. And um, I remember being gutted because I was named na- to start and all. Um, and, the, and the games were never played. And it's never been played. Oh, I think it was played one season since, actually. Um yeah, so I remember that game was never followed up and never played, so I was disappointed. I was looking forward to getting my hands um on the jersey and playing again, and uh, yeah, so I loved them. Um, I think it's a shame to see them to see them lose out. Like people say, oh, there's not an appetite for them. No one's going to them, whatever. So what? Like really? So what? Since when is that what hurling's all about? Um, it's not about crowds, it's not about generating money. If the players are getting huge enjoyment for it, and like 95% of the time, players always put themselves forward. Um, they definitely didn't in hurling. I can't vouch for the football. Um, I wouldn't be as off about who made themselves available or not, but definitely in hurling, lads went out of their way to make sure they could still play for their province. Who cares? And then someone point there is, who cares if there's a crowd or not? Like We're happy to play anywhere like trust me getting to go play with your province is a huge honour Um, going playing on a Saturday going for a few beers that night with with those players like isn't that what Hurting's all about that enjoyment and uh, you know as I said by God those matches were crackers as well I've never seen anyone go to play bad in those games and I tell you one thing I've seen some 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 things sorted out maybe that were going on from during the county during the year and carried on to inter-provincial, so there was no quarter faster <laughs> given in those games. Absolutely, and
0: Cool um, Derry, obviously, uh, what a journey getting to the All-Ireland Final that year, but just coming up short against Lockheed. Um, would you say that was your most enjoyable year, hurling with the club that year, going all the way to Crocker?
1: So, definitely the most enjoyable year I had and definitely the worst, most harrowing defeat I've ever had. So, <laughs> bittersweet. Um, and that's the jersey there behind me, by the way. Okay. It, took long t- it took me a long time to put that jersey up in the wall. Um, <laughs> and, it's, you know, again, it's maybe with a little bit of maturity um, to accept that what we actually did that year was unprecedented in this club. We have a huge success club and we have a huge history as well. You know, we've 31 titles and we're we're out on our own um from that perspective here in Offaly uh, Borough next behind is I think they have twenty two. Um so, you know, I'm very proud of that. Now obviously Borough they're four All Ireland and seven Leinster, they're not gonna be quick to tell you that. Um but you know look I always tip my hat to Borough what they did. I think, you know, they just had a, a golden generation there and they were phenomenal. But um yeah to go back to War Club, look it was just phenomenal. You know we've As I said, our history of our club is, you know, we've always had really, really good teams. Harlan is the lifeblood of this parish out here. Um, Huge history, huge belief in what we do. Not strong underage. Bar, um, we've only won a couple of championships at any age group underage. Bar my group, there just happened to be a group of lads come together. And, you know, we won minor, we won three minors, 321s, we won you know, the fail in Division 2 and stuff like that, and playing community games. So we just were lucky with a group of lads that I had, and, um, you know, we won the county final in 2004, uh, beat board. they were going six in a row, they were going for the, the record, no one had ever won six in a row before And and we beat them in a the cracker. And, but we ended up playing each other in 2005, and they hammered us, they got the revenge, but then we played them in the league final, you know, about two months later after they had lost um, Leinster final, and then we beat them in the league final. So there was little or not between us and played each other in 2006. And we drew the first county final and went to replay. They beat, we should have won the replay and they beat us by a pint. And so there were little or not between us. But, you know, to tell you how good Borough were, like, you know, they'd won five in a row. They'd won four All-Irelands within, like, I think it was six years or something like that. And then we beat them and then they went on to win four in a row again. You know what I mean? So, like, they won 9 out of 10 championships. They were just phenomenal. Um, so then we eventually got back there in 2010. You know, so Ken Hawkins took over us. We won in 10. And, um, you know, we beat Tullamore in 10. And Tullamore, like, had won in 2009. So Tullamore was the crest of a wave. And Shane Doody was probably at, the, at um, hit the peak of his powers at that time. and it was a really, really good team. But Tullamore won at the hard way in 2009. Like, they beat... They beats Burr, St. Rhinus and Kilkarma and I think it was the quarter final, semifinal and final. Um, you know, so you know, they got back to the final in twenty ten and but people felt that we won a soft final in twenty ten. And um, even though Tullamore were beating everyone in front of them at the time. You know, so I thought I was a little bit disingenuous towards Tullamore and even towards us. But in 2011, then we we were obviously huge determined and they like say Ken Hogan was over us and we were we were we were determined from early out that year and uh, we won it the hard way you know we beat Clarine uh, in the quarter final uh, we, we beat them comprehensively in the semi-final and then we beat Burr in a, in a really good game in the final we dominated the, the first half they came back at us strong in the second half and they had chances to draw it up and they missed it and then we got down the field and we scored a goal to win by four points. but um, really tight finish but we probably should have seen that out that game a little bit more comfortable but um yeah, so that was you know that was a savage win, and um, you know then we just we'd lost the pre so just get a little bit more context. We'd lost the previous year after winning the county final twenty ten. We we'd lost to Laharny in the in the Leinster quarter final, I think it was, and um, we weren't disrespectful Laharny and far from it, um, but were we focused enough? Probably not. Um, you know we didn't we we knew we were in for a battle with Laharny. But we weren't focused enough. I definitely said that we didn't train hard enough leading into that Raharney game, Um, you know. So as I said, twenty eleven, we were we were very determined going into Leinster. We trained like like animals after the Lensley, after the county final, Um, you know. Just only a small thing, but like we went back on the shoot on the Wednesday night after the county final. Whereas the previous year, we know we'd left it till the Friday, you know. So we went back on the Wednesday night and we trained hard and we, were, we knew we were playing the Dublin champions you know maybe only knew a week or two out that was Ballyboden but like we were gunning for them and um, you know so we beat Ballyboden in a cracker up in Parnell Park and they had, like they'd won I think they'd won five county titles in a row and they really fancied their chances of winning Leinster you know they'd been very unlucky in their Leinster campaigns and um, maybe maybe they didn't expect what the performance that we gave um, but yeah, we we yeah, we put in a hell of a performance up that day in, in Ballyboden, and then the Leicester final, we went into play Owl Art the Bala. And obviously, they were they were after losing the two previous Leicester finals as well, so they felt you know they were they were huge determined. But we just gave a performance for the ages in that Leicester final, you know, we just dominated from start to finish. And I I like it's without doubt the best day I've ever had in Hurley Field and I've had some good days. I have to say, that I've been very lucky. And I said, I've won a lot. Um, you know, five senior titles and won a Fitzgibbon with UAL, which was a great day and all that sort of stuff. But that of final day it was just, it was just, it was beyond our wildest dreams. You know, those those couple of weeks beating Ballyboard, winning that county final, beating Ballyboard, and getting into the final it was all a whirlwind, and just a, the outpour of emotion after that that game on the field and. You know, oh, jeez, it was just amazing just to win that. Just, you never, like, you always wanted to win these things, but it's suppose you never thought it might happen. And uh, it was just, I I just know, I just love to bottle that feeling after the game. Um, I've heard some people say, you know, oh, when you get to these big games, you know, kind of go with diet. You no, know, this was just unbelievable. And, um, yeah, like, it's just, you know, the whole place was like, mental after grown men and women crying on the field afterwards and just I'll never forget the roar when the cup is lifted and stuff like that and just like you know you didn't need to drink after that like you don't need the buzz of alcohol after things like that like you know it's just you're just caught up in a whirlwind I think it was 10 or 11 o'clock that night before I had a drink like you know it was just it was just amazing and I remember just small things like going into the school the next morning with the cup and um, just the, the sheer joy of that and all the flags up around the parish and um, yeah, that was just class, and you know we played Galway Final, and um, you know they were favourites going into that because you know anyone that wins the 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 Galway Championship, you know back then especially they were almost favourites for the to win the All Ireland Series, and we played them down the Gaelic Grounds, and again we were well primed going into that. We had from from Christmas, you know, from Steven's to Day on, we had trained like animals as well. We played some serious practice matches. We played temporary seniors and a um, good few of their starting 15 out and we I think we lost by a pint to them and you know we drew at UCC uh, a really strong team at the time we um, you know we put in some serious performances in practice matches so we were well good for that guard team and you know we we um you know we definitely deserved to win that day but the final I probably have regrets because you know Lachiel who are a serious team and any team that wins in Ireland they're a serious team Um. You know, they'd beaten the Pearcew after extra time in the, the other all Ireland semi-final. And, um, you know, sure, we all know how good the to were. You know, I mean, they might have been young and starting out at the time, but, like you know, still they were a serious team. And Lockheed were a very formidable team. A um, lot, lot of experience. You know, you think of Johnny Campbell there. I was marking him in Ireland. aaron Quinn in goal and Eddie McCluskey. And obviously, Liam Watson was the man. Like, you know, he was phenomenal in both semi-final and final at the end. um. We were we were under no illusions what we were going as as a group of players we were under no illusions what we were going to in that final but I just felt we just once I took our eye off the ball I just felt we we let the occasion take control over a couple of small I'll say silly things for a finish like we used to always play like. 15 aside games, you know, a week out from the, from the championship. They'd be hell for another. They'd be absolute, like, you know, no quarter or given. Um, but I remember the the week previous, we went up to Coat Park and we went up and we got a run around the stadium and uh, we actually got out on the field for a few minutes. But it was like, we only got 15 minutes and it was all helter-skelter. And, you know, we played for maybe five minutes of a match, but like there could have been... Like could have 34 in the panel or 36 in the panel and everyone was playing and it was just so instead of playing that hour long game where we just had no quarters after given, we just had this kind of bit of a rubbish session in Co-Park Copa you know that kind of way and yeah. then we had another session where the media were there and instead of it being a really tough Wednesday night training session hard yards put in it was a media session so I just felt we, we we kind of got caught up in that and then there was another media night in the club and, um no like, I just think the whole club kind of probably didn't have the experience of what we're doing. We probably should have declined it. Said, no, you're okay. Thanks very much. There was not an untoward said or anything, but I know that, I know afterwards that Lockheed used that as motivation. You know, and the questions we were asked. Remember, like, the questions, you know, it could have been a 20-minute interview and they'd only give a snippet of it. And, you know, so the snippets never mentioned Lockheed you know, it's only I mentioned Clary, so Lachiel used that as their motivation to say, well Clary don't even read us here, they won't even mention us. Whereas it was a snippet of the interviews that they were right to use that as motivation, you know, so um, there'd be little smaller regrets where we probably just as a club didn't handle the hype of the All-Ireland well enough. Um, yeah, and that said on that day, just everything that could went right for Eel went right, you know, Liam Watson obviously was amazing and, you know, got man to match and got 3-7 but I just remember their luck was in you know, they just the first goal the ball just just scraped underneath you know, three lads tackling the corner and forward and the ball just scrapes somehow into the back of the net and Liam Watson gets another goal where, you know Eddie McClosey's taking a shot he's half hooked the ball's going wide and Liam Watson pulls it down with his hurl and we've all done that but the ball might run away from you you know, two or three yards and maybe the chance is gone but it just fell at his feet and in the one movement it actually reminded me of Vulcan McFetrick's goal for Antrim against Hoffman in 1989 where it just fell at his feet and in the one kind of movement he just lashed it up in the back of the net and I remember just going, Jesus, everything's going right for them. You know, I think, like, I think for a finish, I think we both had scored 17 times. I think theirs was 4-13 and we'd scored 17, but they got the goals. You know, and we missed goal opportunities. You know, we hit the side net, and after 30 seconds. We had another one-on-one chance in the first half and the... Only Ryan Carnival dropped it. He 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 thought the whistle had gone. Because everyone stopped. Like, you know, their defence stopped and you know, it would actually play on. I don't mean, know what happened. Someone in the crowd or something must have blown a whistle or a foghorn fog or something, because it was it was a real weird moment. And then Kevin Connolly had a huge chance just after half time. Because the halftime, like we just said, look, we have to throw the kitchen thinking this. And we believed going out in that second half we were gonna you know, t- come back and we did like we really did rattle them in that second half and that goal chance we missed and that's not blaming him or anything but that goal chance we, we that sucked the life out of us and it gave them energy and they just needed to tack on a pint or two to just keep his arm's length after that you know so we took a lot of criticism back here in Offaly um, you know we're the club that everyone loves to hate because obviously we've been the most successful over the years um, you know I'm talking generations you know Borough's success is probably the 90s and 90s but ours has been a generational thing. Um, and we took a lot of, lot of, um, you know, criticism here and awfully over that. I know a lot of it's just pub talk or hurling talk, but, um, you know, some of it makes its way into social media as well. And um, that hurt because, as I said, I don't think we hurled bad in that game. I don't think we were, like, we didn't go out and, you know, didn't perform. You know, I just think we were, it was just one of those days where, as I said, everything that went wrong could have went wrong. And, I just remember being just utterly broken after losing Ireland. It took me months and I'm talking months to get over that. I couldn't talk about it. Uh, and again, with maturity now, I think I don't think we handled that one well as a club either. Like, we should have just said, you know, we're obviously one of the best teams in the country. Uh, what do we need to be the best? You know, that's, that should have been our approach to losing that Ireland where I think our, our, our feeling as a club and as a group of players was, oh, there's our chance gone. You know, and that's a difference in mindset. I think we, we um we we missed the boat in that one. And we've never been back and you know, bar maybe twenty eighteen when we you know, we could have beaten Ballyboden in that um answer semi final, I think you know we've never you know, we've never really had an opportunity to, to maybe avenge that.
0: And just finally now,
1: do you think the clubs is Yeah, sorry, I'm still rabbiting
0: on <laughs> <laughs> um but the current club system now, do you think that's the way to go that we had this summer when county players actually go back to the club for a while and can get engrossed and can go to more trainings rather than a week before championship
1: yeah I think I think we've we, again we've just hit on a perfect solution to like if there's been a lot of solutions out there for you know banding around. Um, you know, trying to find, I don't think that club window worked in April. I think we were used to it in and when you're used to something you don't see the merit and change and, you know, it kind of worked for us or whatever. Uh, but we kind of, again, not being disrespectful to anyone in because I was one of those players myself, we kind of knew we'd be gone by the end of July so we'd have enough time to run off our club championships in the end of July and August. Um, September, obviously, play your county final in October. And, um, there was no need to play it any sooner because you know if whoever won the county challenge you didn't want too long for the provincial series um, so it kind of suited the set up enough but now did you see the other way it's like oh my god like this is so much better like like the, just the club scene is too prolonged it's too drawn out you're going back training in January for maybe play one hopefully two games in April park the bus for a while how do you even manage that time? Really, really difficult for club players. Um, and then try and pick it up again in July. And as I said, we're lucky we knew we were going to be playing in July. But for counties that maybe like Tipperary or think where, um, you know, it might be September and they're rushing things through. Um, it's a horrible system. Um, so, yeah, I think the split season is the only way to go. Um, player into county first. I think we've now shown that playing club first won't work. Uh, you know, the county managers have too much power, They've, they want to train, um, uh, you know, they want control of their players. Um, I think it's wrong, to be honest, but I don't see that, that actually changing too quickly. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, that's why I would play the Intercounty county first, and I'd play the, the club second, definitely.
0: Absolutely, well, thanks a million for your time, Brian Cairn, the unbelievable career stories and great insight and everything. Thanks a million.